You're listening to the Level 5 Podcast, featuring wide-ranging conversations on the subjects that matter in business and management. Hello, I'm Matt Kelly, Managing Partner of Level 5 Strategy and host of our new podcast series, Promises Kept. And I'm with our founder of Level 5, Dave Kincaid, who coined the phrase through his first book, um, value of a promise consistently kept. So what better way to start a podcast by talking to the founder and saying, well, what did you mean by this, Dave? <laughs> it was a good question. Now, it was actually, uh, the funny story is the, the line yeah. came to me in the middle of my sleep. This is a true story. I was okay. in San Diego okay. playing in a golf tournament and I woke up and I'd been struggling for so long with... Uh, you know, really, what's our definition of a brand? Yeah. Because we kept telling people what a brand isn't. Like, it's not marketing. It's not a tagline. It's a, right, right. And then one of our friends said, okay, so you better start telling me then for what is it? <laughs> and it came to me in the middle of the night. And I woke up and I quickly wrote it down. And the next morning I rationalized it. But it does, it, it does make sense. We say a brand is an asset. Right. So a brand creates value. I can measure it. I can look at it on a balance sheet. I can leverage it from a marketing standpoint. I can use it to align an organization and make it more efficient, improve margins. So, I mean, it's a very measurable tool. So it is value. It creates value so for any organization that decides to take on the notion of managing their brand as an asset as opposed to my brand as my marketing effort. Right. So value, number one. But what creates value? And in the simplest way, great brands that I had a chance to be fortunate enough to be around some of them, watch them, you've been involved with some of them. They all make a very distinctive proprietary promise to the, to the marketplace. You buy me, this is what I will, what value I'm going to bring you, what benefits I'm going to bring you. So really understanding what the need of the market was, not what the capability, the product was that I was selling. Okay. But in fact, the benefit to the people buying the product. And that relates to business to business brands as much as it does to business to consumer. So it, it, it really said, you know, figuring out what the promise is that I can own and differentiate on. And that's not just a tagline. No, that, that could be two or three specific rational or emotional right. benefits that my brand is bringing you. Okay. I mean, Apple, they bring you wonderful design and a great camera. But is that really the reason you stand in the pouring rain at three in the morning for the next iPhone to come out? When your last iPhone's perfectly good. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, rational and emotional benefits, but that's all come through in their promise to you. Mm. They then make you believers in the promise because they keep it. Okay. They've aligned their business systems, their processes, their structure, their organization in such a way, and they've hired the right types of people to make sure that that promise that they're making to you, that they're investing and communicating to you, is delivered 24-7. So value, first and foremost, mm -hmm. it's an asset that's built off of a promise that only you can make to that market, but then your entire organization is aligned around keeping. And that is where value either gets made 
or it doesn't. If I promise something to you and then don't keep my promise, hmm, the chances of you valuing whoever the individual is giving you the promise, right. the next time around, you might go, eh, I'm not so sure. They broke the promise last time. Great brands continually improve the promise and keep it. And what's the outcome of that? I mean, you know, if I'm a CEO and I'm saying, okay, brand is typically left to the marketing department. I mean, what's the tangible benefit of investing in this asset, as you call it? Well, I mean, it, it, it comes in a whole range of factors. Obviously, as I just said, it drives the asset value. Right. Right. You make more money. Yeah. Your margins improve. Okay. I can command a higher price premium than right. my competitors. I, because I am so focused in getting my organization around delivering on one thing, you become more efficient. So it's got a financial element, but the other major thing is that it builds a culture. So your organization, if you're all around producing the highest quality widget um, in a way that nobody else can deliver, and the competencies and the skill sets you need to be able to do that are such, well, then I know what I'm getting into before I take a job there. So the culture of the organization is rooted as much in as is a tangible output of the uh, of the brand's promise as well. And it's fair to say it's not just a business thing. It's not just a B2C thing. I mean, all organizations, I presume, make a promise. They could be not-for-profit. They could be a charity. It could be a hospital or a university. Exactly. Everybody has a customer, and everybody needs to make a promise to that customer and consistently keep that promise. Correct. Okay. And even, you know, I get approached a lot. I, as you know, I teach at a university, and um, I get approached by a lot of the students. And they want to really ask for help in helping them figure out their personal brand. Right. The logic you've just outlined applies as much to your personal brand right. as it does where you work or the company or the product that you're involved with. Because who's Matt Kelly? What does Matt Kelly stand for? What values direct him? What's he focused on? What are his core strengths and his proprietary capabilities that others can't match? Well, figuring that out and then aligning it to what you're doing. If you're a wonderful neuroscientist, but you're selling hamburgers through a takeout window at McDonald's, Hmm. You haven't aligned your skill set to, the, to the, the, the opportunity that's in front of you. So it's very, very important that you figure your own personal brand out. And I bet even you know, when we're talking about brands and people, even from a corporate standpoint, for the employees to know whether they're producing a product, designing an experience, or on the front lines, they should know what the brand is promising exactly. and what their role in keeping it. Exactly. You know, you talk about Apple, uh, you know, the world's most famous brand, probably the world's most profitable company, at least it has been for years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they promised, they never actually had a tagline, you know, they just have the logo, but they promised intuitive design that you're going to love, mm -hmm. right? And then they drive that through the organization. Right. Starbucks, you know, they promise indulgence. And, and so they have an indulgent experience. It could be fast, which is a rational benefit. And the quality could be good, which is a rational benefit. But at the same time, I'm going to treat myself to that gazillion calorie, $4.50 triple latte that has 15 different descriptions about what it is. You're going to enjoy it in an environment that gives you that emotional benefit as well as the product benefit, exactly. So that is that is really what it comes down to. And it sounds easy. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna grow the value, I'm gonna figure out the promise, and then I'm going to just keep it. Well, yeah, easily said, 
very difficult to do. Well, you ran brands for a long time. I've run brands for a long time. Is this a revelation you wish you had come in in your sleep about 10 years earlier when you're at Labatt's or Chorus or American Express? I, I, I do. <laughs> <laughs> because at least, if nothing else, it would have given me uh, a construct. Right. Think about, okay, so what? So great, the promise that my American Express product is making to the market. Yeah. Well, okay. Great. It does this, it does that, it makes me feel this way and makes me feel that way. So therefore my promise is figured out. Well, no. Yeah. How does that differentiate versus what this Visa product or this MasterCard or this Diners Club product is providing? Yeah. And so what the construct has allowed us to do at level five is to go in and say, we're going to help figure out what it is that drives that special ownable thing that only you can have. And the best way to do it is to bring you insight that nobody else has about okay. your consumer. Okay. Really what motivates them to try or be interested in the product, to, uh, to try it, to, to repurchase it, to become loyal to it. What are those emotional and rational drivers that are critical to that end customer that you can own? Well, and we've created tools and processes that allow us to figure that out in very specific terms. So great, if I know something about the needs of the market that all of my competitors, who might have equally as good products, mm -hmm. but I know something about their end consumer that they don't, because we've used this proprietary tool with them, Yeah, I've just given them competitive advantage. And that's really a very important part of how we build promises. So, so that insight, as you said, informs the promise. Because if I'm a CEO, I'm, am I making the right promise? Is the promise relevant? Is it compelling? Is it differentiated? So what is it about our approach to research that's different? Everybody does research. Okay, sure. Um, the key thing is, uh, as, we, as I've said a couple of times, there are emotional factors and rational factors. Right. What we discovered early on, and I, again, I look back now to my years at Labatt, yeah. um, People were very brand loyal, yeah. brand specific. We used to call it a bar call. Yeah. I would go in and, no, I'm not gonna have any beer. I want that brand. Yeah. I want my Budweiser or my Stella Artois. Yeah. Well, okay, but I hate to say this, but the products were eh, hard to differentiate. Yeah. As soon as you put that label and show the consumer that label, boy, you've taken them into very different emotional and rational places. So if I'd had this ability to understand the role and the importance of emotion and be able to measure it, I would have been able to hit a lot more home runs during a very competitive, heady times in the Canadian beer market. But also importantly, um, I've been able to develop an understanding of what the motivators are, for the brand and therefore how do I sell it? What kind of people should I hire mm -hmm. to sell that type of a promise? Mm -hmm. Like, because it's an emotional proposition, right? These brands differentiate on emotion, right? The last thing I'll say is the reason we also created the tool is we discovered with the help of some very qualified individuals, um, again, people nod to the fact that emotions shape attitudes and therefore drive behavior. But what we discovered is human beings can't articulate emotion. So if I ask them how they feel, I'll get an answer. I might get one or two emotions. But 
when you start to delve into them, that you discover very quickly that it's there. They just can't get it out. So we created a tool to help pull it out of them. And that's really what a very important thing that is part of what we've done to create proprietary right. insights for a client. Right. I mean, we were both CMOs for a long time. And one of the frustrations I always had was you'd go to focus groups or something and consumers would say one thing and then they'd do another, do another. right? Probably because they couldn't articulate what they really felt or we weren't asking the right questions. Right. You know, I was at Young Brands for 13 years. KFC was part of that. And, uh, you know, investors, the board, the stock market, uh, everyone, franchisees, they were all saying, you know, we got to get into grilled chicken because, you know, KFC is too fattening and it's not good for me. So we'd hear that in the research. Oh, yep. And we spent millions and millions of dollars around the globe outfitting restaurants with new equipment, new products, grilled chicken, you name it. And, and, and it failed over and over and over again. Because you know what, what they really wanted was the promise of finger looking good. That's so we would put that 11 secret herbs and spices on anything, strips, popcorn, chicken, original recipe, a sandwich, the big crunch, and it would sell like hotcakes, right? Because all they wanted was finger looking good chicken. Yeah. And we weren't listening to what they really wanted. Yeah. And we were making the wrong Well, in fairness to some of the best brands in the world, they yeah. don't know how to ask. Right. And even if they knew how to ask, as I just said, a lot of the answers they get back weren't truly the yeah. drivers of the decision of the consumer. Yeah. So there's, like I said, it sounds easy to do, but boy, oh boy, peeling back the layers of the onion to get to the real thing that is critical that you can own in yeah. a promise, not easy. Then you kick into the, okay, now, holy smokes, I've moved, it's like, pointing the ship now in a new direction. We're no longer going to provide this. We're not going to provide this. Yeah. And they go, okay, well, marketers go away and package that up and tell the world. Well, increasingly, as we all know, our economy is being driven by service-based brands. Mm -hmm. Apple, think about Apple. It's a device. It's right. a thing. But what you really value about it is being able to go to the Apple store and get it all any problem fixed and the right. way they do it and how efficient they are with it. So the service components of great brands are becoming and will continue to become even more important going forward. Well, then what does that mean for my organization? If I've changed the, the promise, it could mean a different structure, a whole different set of competencies to be able to provide that service, training, um, a whole bunch of a whole range of things that systems, information, that I'm not providing my staff right now to be able to keep that new promise. So the smart CEOs, and it's the ones I talk about in the, in the most recent book, right. say, great, I understand the promise. Now, what are the implications to change within my organization? What do I need to change? And through the research we did over four years was the change really is bundled into four basic areas, right? Processes, people, partnerships, right. and IP, right. and the CEO owns those. That's not for the marketing team. What happens if a brand doesn't keep its promise then? Go to the equation, the value goes down. Okay. I'm telling you that I will be there when you order my pizza and you say it'll be there in 30 minutes or it's free. Right. Well, it comes in 35. Then when it gets delivered and I'm hassled by the delivery guy to go, well, it's only five minutes difference. So 
I know, but your promise to me was 30 minutes or it's free. <laughs> so the system somewhere back over here fell apart because it didn't keep its promise. Well, am I likely to go back there for a pizza next time I've got the midnight crunchies? Probably not. So a great promise is based on great insight, right? Um, and then a great promise, great organizations operationalize that promise. They consistently keep that promise. Correct. And I would imagine they continue to measure it whether they're delivering that promise. Mm -hmm. I guess it starts with the customer experience, would you say? In terms of beyond brand and marketing and, and people and culture, it's first comes to life in the customer experience, whether I'm buying a product or I'm going to the front line and buying the coffee to go. In the broadest sense, yes. Yeah. I, I like to look at it even more simply and say, you've got two choices as a brand marketer. Mm -hmm. One is that you can be product fed. Mm -hmm. So here's the thing we make, here's its unique feature, and that's I'm gonna build my point of difference and my promise around this thing about the product. Yeah. So that's product fed. Or I can be market led. I'm going to go out and understand those unmet needs and really what creates those needs um, of the consumer. So the experience is definitely part of that. Right. So understanding all of that. So which way should I go? And when we did the research on that last book, right. certainly what we found is the bulk of the most valuable brands in the world are consumer-led, not product-fed. Okay, so here's the new book. Dave, you've been busy writing. I don't know where you get time to do all this stuff. Uh, you said the brand-driven CEO. So what's the message to the CEO you're making in this book? You own the most precious asset in your company. Okay. Right? It's often the most misunderstood and under-leveraged asset. So, hey, CEOs, wake up because it directs the entire proposition and your organization and its ability to deliver on that promise. That doesn't reside within any one department. That sits upstairs with the senior most leadership of the of the organization. And I would imagine, or you talk about it being a source of competitive advantage, right? In so many categories where everything is the same, they're often commoditized. We call it a sea of sameness. A brand can be a differentiator. Definitely. And you're, you know, another way to say brand is your reputation in the marketplace, right? So what promise am I making? What's my reputation in the marketplace? And in the book, yeah. um, we actually draw out examples of brands and leadership teams who approach it that way. And we purposefully included uh, examples, case studies of brands in very competitive, in some cases, homogenized categories. Right. Right. But then one sticks out. Right. So to your point, yeah, see a sameness. Yes. You could always create a whole new category that the world's never seen. I mean, I guess, Tesla, to some degree, has done that with the electric vehicle. Sure. But that wasn't the very first electric vehicle that ever existed. It was the first electric vehicle that became a brand. Right. Right. So there's there's ways of creating competitive advantage. And you know what I like about Tesla as a Tesla owner, right? I mean, it, it's delivering rational benefits, right? Fuel efficiency, a well-built car. But it's also delivering an emotional need and it personifies itself. It always amazes me there's 96 emotions. Which one are you going to build your brand upon, right? Exactly. Don't give away all the <laughs> We don't want everyone knowing how many emotions there are out there. <laughs> so at the end of the day, I mean, a, a CEO really needs to think about owning their brand, not delegating that down to, to marketing. And that's, I guess, what you've seen over your career is, is you don't have to be a, a marketing CEO 
to be a brand driven no, CEO. No, and in fact, in the examples in there, I would say individuals who with a marketing pedigree yeah. might, might be 50% of the CEOs that we've profiled. Right, and I think it's also a simple fact that strong branded organizations simply outperform, whether it's the stock market, revenue margins, market share, maybe even attracting and retaining people, right? The, the best brands outperform those that aren't great brands. Exactly. And I try to show in here a whole range of measures yeah. and demonstrate the point you just made. But on average, in terms of market value, seven times multiple. Okay. So last question for you. I'm a CEO. You got my interest. Where do we start? What's the first thing I do? Very first thing is... I love sitting down with you and your five leaders, six leaders, however many it is, yeah. and asking one simple question. Which is? <laughs> what business are you in? Okay. What do you mean by that? Well, I get the exact same reaction. <laughs> they, they say, well, we're in the chair business or the shirt that we make. Yeah. I say, well, that's good. But that actually isn't what I asked you. Yeah. I didn't ask you what you made or sold. Right. I asked you what business you were in. And they often are still looking at me because when I've asked the question around that leadership table, I may get three or four different answers. That tells me something. Okay. They're not aligned. They're I'm not sure. aligned. Okay. Second, they're not aligned because they're not focused on the benefit that their product is creating or delivering in the market. Okay. I've never known a business to survive that doesn't create value. Right. What creates value? Benefits, not features. Okay. Somebody's got to receive your feature and go, wow, I want to stand in the pouring rain at three in the morning to get that new camera. Right. right? So the benefit to me is rational and emotional. Okay. So understanding the benefits. So you very quickly find that a leadership team is approaching the brand in many different ways. So step one is let's get them all on the same page, in fact, around what business they were really in, and then assess, okay, so how well you're delivering on it today. Okay, so I'm Starbucks, I'm in the indulgence business. I'm trying to, I, I guess that leads you to eventually what promise we should make. Once I understand exactly what business, the benefit that we're providing. Right. So when you tell me you're in the indulgence business, you're an emotional benefit. Right. Okay. I'm expecting to really dig into and understand what are those emotions that you own okay. and that are most critical, that can be measured, that drive consumption, volume, share. Okay. And then I presume that you're using the brand as a lens for everything. Exactly. Product development, customer experience, everything. Mm -hmm. It becomes a, a prism. Exactly. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, thanks, Dave. Uh, any, uh, any clues on the third book? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't retire in a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fantastic. Good to see you. Great seeing you. Thanks. Bye-bye. So thank you for joining us for Level 5 Promises Kept, Episode 1. And I'm Matt Kelly, Managing Partner at Level 5, and look forward to Episode 2, where we'll be discussing the role of social purpose in your organizational strategy. Have a great day. Thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in to Strategy Lounge, the Level 5 podcast. To learn more about our work, please visit level5strategy.com.